0: They are two prominent owners with an eye on the Breeders' Cup. One is the everyman who's made history against some of the sport's biggest titans. The other comes from a family that literally helped shape the business of racing in this country. Jack Knowlton, co-owner of Tis the Law, and Bo Hirsch, owner of CeCe, are straight ahead on the In the Gate podcast. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. And they're off. As they move to the top of the stretch. It's a hit by big This is In the Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at babramsvoice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In the Gate Podcast. You can get us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In the Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others to find us. And we would just love it if you would contact the astrophysicists at America's Best Racing to let them know that In the Gate belongs in their nominees for Best Podcast in this year's Fan Choice Awards. Try the Twitter handle at ABR Live or the America's Best Racing Facebook page. Let them know that In the Gate belongs. Off the top of your head, you could probably come up with a good list of three-year-olds who had tremendous years, but for whatever reason did not win the one three-year-old race that's remembered the most, the Kentucky Derby. I'm thinking of horses like Man O' War, the greatest horse of all time, whose owner didn't even run him in the Derby. Native Dancer, who won Horse of the Year as a two-year-old in 1952 and won every one of the 22 races he entered except the 1953 Derby where he couldn't get past Dark Star. Nashua also won Horse of the Year as a two-year-old, two years after Native Dancer, but despite his classic bloodlines and wins in his first four starts in 1955, Nashua could not get past the modestly bred California upstart, Swaps. Perhaps the best horse not to win the Kentucky Derby was Point Given in 2001. He'd won five times and finished second three times at that point, including wins in his final three races heading into the Derby. He won the Preakness and Belmont for fun afterward. I was at that Belmont standing on the rail. But on Derby Day, Point Given spun his wheels at the top of the stretch and came up empty, finishing fifth. You could also put Empire Maker on the list of best horses to never win the Derby. He'd taken the Florida Derby and Wood Memorial going into Kentucky, where he was the favorite. You don't by chance remember who won the Derby that day, do you? Funny Side has got a head in front, Peace Rules full bore on the inside, Empire Maker far outside, it's Funny Side just in front, Peace Rules on the inside, and Empire Maker, Funny Side looking to upset the Derby, Funny Side at 12 to 1, wins it by a length and three quarters. And as you almost undoubtedly know, The owners of Funnyside were the same people who can now claim to have another on the list of best horses to not win the Derby. Tisdala collars Authentic Tisdala puts his white blaze in front as they turn for home but Authentic is not done yet, Authentic
1: is digging down deep and fending off Tisdala so far, it's still Authentic
0: in front with a furlong to go Tisdala's tenacious but he's second, Mr. Big News Honor AP, too late it is Authentic in front, Tisdala final try, Authentic was always in front and he wins the derby Authentic, wire to wire. Tis the law had been nearly automatic up until the first Saturday in September. That still sounds weird, doesn't it? Convincing wins in the Holy Bull and Florida Derby before the shutdown, and then a slightly shortened Belmont Stakes and smashing win in the Travers at Saratoga all preceded that runner-up effort to Authentic. At this point, I'm sure owner Jack Knowlton would love Tis the Law to have the title of Best Horse Not to Win the Derby, and punctuating the year with a win in the Breeders' Cup Classic would go a long way toward that somewhat unusual goal. Jack Knowlton, of course, is part of the everyman ownership group, Sakatoga Stable, that owned Funnyside and owns Tis the Law, and we are very pleased to welcome back to In the Gate the co-owner of Tis the Law, Jack Knowlton. First thing, sir, after the derby, your group and trainer Barkley Tag opted to skip the Preakness in order to freshen up the colt for the Breeders' Cup Classic. His workouts at Belmont Park seem to have gone fairly well. He arrived at Keeneland two weeks before to get acclimated for the race. So, how is the big horse doing?
2: According to Barkley, he's very, very happy with where he's at. Very nice work, good stamina, building work. Heather says he handles the track very well. So as of now, everything Barkley uh can't say anything bad at all. So he's just doing great down there.
0: And he would if he could, I know that. Now knowing what you oh, know yeah. now, would uh, <laughs> Barkley or you have done anything different with Tis the Law heading into the Derby?
2: No. No. I mean uh you know, he had two superb works at, uh, Saratoga bounced out of the Travers. Couldn't have been any better. And, you know, for whatever reason, he just didn't seem to handle the track that well at Churchill. It's the only thing I can uh, attribute to him getting beat in that race too, but certainly Manny gave him the perfect ride. He had him right in position and, uh, when it was time to to keep going, he was just kind of spinning his wheels. I mean, it's not like he, you know, ran a bad race at 103 buyer. He still beat, I don't know, 12, 13 horses. But, you know, that closing kick that we've gotten used to seeing, uh, you know, from the Holy Bowl and the Florida Derby and the Belmont and the Travers just wasn't there. And the only thing I can say, it wasn't like he was a tired horse going into the race. He just didn't seem to, you know, handle the track. But we don't have to go back there. So uh you know, we're gonna be at at Keeneland and uh we're looking forward to having an opportunity to, you know, run in the biggest race of the year, first time with older horses. And at this point it's at the top of the list for just about everybody is the uh, the Baffert Brigade and
0: Dizlaw. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second, but you did reference the Travers. I mean, how does winning that race just a few miles from your home stack up against the disappointment of just missing in the Derby?
2: Well, fortunately, I'm I'm one of the two partners that was around with Funnyside, so I've already won the Kentucky Derby. So, oh, you know, obviously we wanted to win it with Tiz, and I wanted to, to go two for two and wanted it for Barkley and the whole team, but... Winning the Travers was huge, and the fact that for the first time in three grade one wins this year, I and and many of our partners were actually able to be there and see it live. That was huge. I mean, I've been going to the Travers for probably 40 years plus, and to have an opportunity to see our horse not only in the race, but win the race and, and dominate the race, run you know, arguably the best race that any three-year-old or older horse has run this year, according to a lot of the numbers, was unbelievable.
0: This colt had a bruised heel in February. Coincidentally, much of the racing world shut down in early March. Of course, now Barkley Tag said at the time that the foot was not a problem. That said, how much do you think the forced shutdown helped? Tis the law. Do you think?
2: Well, I mean, it didn't really matter because our goal was Florida Derby. I mean, we, we won the Holy Bowl and we were not going to run in the fountain of youth, you know, had we ever planned on running in the fountain of youth then it would have been an issue, but that didn't, that was never our plan. Again, we were, you know, looking for a normal triple crown and go from the Holy Bowl to the Florida Derby to the real Derby. Obviously, you know, that all got turned inside out, upside down. You know, fortunately, when everything else was being shut down, Gulfstream kept racing and we were able to, you know, to win the Florida Derby.
0: Jack Knowlton, co-owner of Tis the Law, joins us here on In the Gate. With the COVID situation and, of course, all that has happened in your life since Funnyside in 2003, including your daughter's personal struggles, which we're not going to belabor here. How different is this ride for you than it was in 2003?
2: Well, it, it's very different. You know, in a, in a number of ways, this horse, the law, once he won the champagne, kind of vaulted up to the top or near the top of the two-year-old crop and, and then, you know, flipping over into 2020, the three-year-old. So he has been a horse that there were high expectations, not only from us, but I think from, you know, everybody who was watching the thoroughbred races. So that's one difference. Secondly, you know, I had nine partners, five of them were my high school buddies with uh, Funny Side. So it was a much smaller group, tighter group. And uh, this time we have 35 partners, uh, Ruth Titterton being the only other holdover from the days of Funny Side. So I've got a lot more people involved, and you know, all of the logistics. And then with the pandemic, making it much, much more of a challenge, not being able to go to the races or when you can go to races, having a limited number of people and all that. So that's, that's very different. I think the other thing that's totally different is, uh, you know, there was no social media back then to speak of. And now, you know, the world is all about social media. So, you know, every second, uh, you know, there's something out there every time you say something or every time the horse does something or every time you know Barkley says something or Manny says something, it's out there for the world. And that's, that's just a, a whole different perspective, I think.
0: Speaking of traveling, you traveled for the Derby, I believe, on an eight seat plane from Albany, New York to Louisville. Does that shatter the every man image of showing up with the yellow school bus? Well, we had two school buses down
2: there. A lot of people think that we actually came from New York on school buses in the days of Funnyside, but we rented the school bus when we got into you know, Louisville. So that was the same. Same thing. I mean, uh, what happened basically is the jockeys were flying down and they were trying to fill a plane. And I said, why not? I'll just jump on and, you know, get down there in two hours instead of, uh, you know, flying commercial. So it, that's how it ended up happening. And it, it worked out. And, uh, then of course, you know, they said we had our school buses ready to take us to the Derby.
0: What was it like being at the Derby with COVID restrictions? Well, it was obviously totally weird.
2: You know, we were very fortunate, you know, get most of our people that uh, wanted to go, uh, to go. Churchill did a tremendous job of uh, accommodating us. And, you know, we got to to be in a part of the the racetrack that you normally would not be in, you know, in Millionaire's Row. And, you know, we're treated uh, exceedingly well. We're so it was it was different. Uh, I mean, I've been going to the to Derby every year since 2003. They allowed me to buy a, a box in Section 321. It's a different experience sitting up in Millionaire's Row, I'll tell you
0: that. Oh, you'd never been up there before?
2: Not to sit for a Derby. No, I hadn't.
0: Well, I've never been up there, but I'm not you or an owner of a derby horse. And the battle is joined here. Uncle Chuck on the inside, and Tiz the Law on the outside. They are heads apart for the lead, and Tiz the Law has the lead at the top of the stretch. It is Tiz the Law in front with three sixteenths to the finish. Tis the law has a four-length lead. He's left the others behind. It's Tis the law. He won the Belmont Stakes. He's going to win the run-happy Travers. And now it's on to Kentucky as the favorite in the Derby. Here he is, Saratoga's hometown hero, Tis the law. In the Breeders' Cup Classic, which we referenced earlier, you'll not only, as you mentioned, be taking on one Bob Baffert star, but a three-pronged Bob Baffert cavalry, which includes Maximum Security, speaking of potential best horses not to win the Derby, and Improbable, who's about as hot as a horse can get right now. What are your thoughts about Tis the Law and the competition he'll see in the Classic?
2: Well, I think those are the three top horses to, you you know, look at what some of the reported experts are saying about the race those are the three horses that they're pointing to that are most likely horses to win so i know that both those horses are very formidable but his his best race if uh, he can repeat the travers i think he definitely uh, can win the, the classic i mean that race is is good or better than either of those horses has run this year if you look at look at the numbers, and we'll have an opportunity to find
0: out. And we certainly wish you the best of luck in the Classic. Thank you so much for a few minutes, sir.
2: Great talking to you. You take care. Stay safe.
0: From the sports new school to the old school, the Hershes have been cornerstones of California racing for over 50 years. Bo Hirsch now looks for his first-ever Breeders' Cup win with CC. He'll join us next when the In the Gate podcast continues. Welcome back to In the Gate. The date was October 11th, 1969, opening day at Santa Anita after a typical summer of racing at Del Mar in San Diego. Except this opening day was not typical. It was unlike anything thoroughbred racing in this country had ever seen before. Oh, the races themselves were pretty typical, including the Carlton Burke Handicap, the day's main event, won by Fiddle Isle beneath Willie the Shoe. What made the day so unusual was that the organization conducting the meeting was a new not-for-profit entity called the Oak Tree Racing Association. It was run by horsemen for horsemen, with profits put back into research, development, and breeding. One of the people who helped start Oak Tree was prominent California horse owner Clement Lang Hirsch, who served as Oak Tree's president from those humble beginnings until his death in 2000. The Oak Tree meeting became a high point of the California racing season, especially when the Breeders' Cup started in 1984. Many of the California Breeders' Cup prep races we now know today began as a part of the Oak Tree meet. When Clement Hirsch died in 2000, one of his nine children, Clement Jr., known commonly as Bo, kept his father's racing operation alive. Well, Bo's more than kept it alive – especially when he sends out this prominent contender for the Breeders' Cup Distaff. So Ollie's Candy comes to the final furlong, but C.C. is gunning her down on the
1: outside. C.C. and Ollie's Candy, these two will decide the apple blossom, and it's going to be desperately close. Ollie's Candy, C.C., Ollie's Candy,
0: and C.C. Oh my, I think C.C. got up by an inch The Apple Blossom was CeCe's third straight win and second straight grade one. She'd taken the Beholder Mile just as the world shut down in March. She's been a traveler, running in Arkansas, the Apple Blossom, back to Santa Anita, down to Del Mar for the race named for Clement L. Hirsch, and then east to Churchill Downs on the Derby Undercard. She ran third, third, and fourth in those races after the Apple Blossom, which still has owner Bo Hirsch dreaming of something even his legendary father never did, win a Breeders' Cup race. And we are pleased to welcome Bo Hirsch for the first time here to Win the Gate. What has this experience with her been like for you?
1: It's been wonderful. Uh, I've been blessed over the years to have a better-than-average horse pop up. And when Cece came along, it was wonderful. I didn't expect her to win her first race. Uh, when Michael McCarthy uh, decided to run her in the Beholder, I said, "My God, this is this is crazy." And then she won, and then we ran her. He talked me into running into the Apple Blossom, and he was very uh, positive about it and felt good about it, and, and we won. Then I started to become a believer, and that's when she got beat a couple times. And she uh, she's been a wonderful filly. Winning two grade one races for me and this year and I couldn't ask for more than that. We've given her a little bit of a rest and he's training her into the distaff, and we hope for the best. She couldn't be doing any better right now. You know, we scratch our head about a couple of poor races she had and at least what we thought were uh, less than her expectations or her ability and Michael McCarthy will tell you that time that she rode poorly at, uh, at Santa Anita was due to the track was much deeper and she doesn't like a deep track, and then it was kind of a fast wet track when we wanted to behold Beholder there, and then when we ran in, in the race named after my father, the Clement Hirsch, he thought pretty much the same that it was just she just wasn't taken to the track. She's a great little filly and a great mayor, excuse me, and just this last couple we're just puzzled by, but she acts in the morning like she's as good as she's ever been, and I think she's, you know, my mind, a little sleeper in the race. I realize the competition that's in there, and I wouldn't go home being unhappy if we lit up the board. Well, I'd like to do even better than that, but that happens, and well, I'd be very content. I think she belongs
0: in the race. You'll be seeing Monomoy Girl there who looks to be back in form after a year away, Ollie's Candy, Point of Honor, Valiance, Vexatious, and possibly even Swiss Skydiver, unless she runs in the Classic. It's always one of the most star-studded races of the weekend.
1: Well, absolutely, and, and, and yeah, I'm wanting to hear where they go with her. What a wonderful, spectacular race she she ran in the you No, know, taken away from that, and that's a tough company. But, you know, you, you, if you got the horse, you've won a couple of grade ones, you've got to take your shot. And, and that's what we plan to do.
0: Now, getting back to a point you made before, what did it mean to you to run her in a race this summer named for your dad?
1: That was very special for me. It was, as I mentioned to someone else, you know, like my own little Kentucky Derby. And it was that special to me. If we, you know, would have won that, And it was just special just to have that opportunity and run in it. I always wanted to be able to do that one day. And I was very excited, uh, disappointed we didn't win, but very happy we had the opportunity.
0: When you were growing up, how much did you understand about the influence your father had on the entire sport in California?
1: Well, I appreciate you bringing that up. To be honest with you, when I was young... uh, I'm gonna go back here. I started getting involved a little bit with enjoying the the business when I was about 20, 21 years old, back in around 69, 70, and that's when all everything kind of went crazy with my father as far as bringing up Figueroa from Argentina and, and you know winning an overnight race, coming back in a week or two, whatever it was. It was ridiculous with Warren Stude, the old trainer, and Winning the American Handicap and then coming back a week or two later after that, winning the Gold Cup, beating Horse of the Year, no double. It was. Uh, I just looked at it and said, "Whoa, this is an easy business." And I learned differently over the over the decades after that. But that was just a spectacular time to get involved. It got me all excited about the business. And then I spent some time with my father. That particular time in '69 was a very busy period for my father. Because that was right around the time when he put the group together to start oak tree. And he had to get permission from the governor and everything to get it done. And then I remember him telling me, or Jack Robbins, Dr. Jack Robbins, that was on the board with him telling me the story that they went, uh, which I'm very proud of, that they they went to see Robert Stroob, then the owner of Santa Anita, to get the final okay to run run the oak tree there. And at the very end of the meeting, Robert Struve looked at my father and said, Mr. Hirsch, if we go forward with this, this could cost not only your people some money, but it could cost Santa Anita a lot of money. And we're concerned that we could lose a few million dollars on this. And my father looked at him. He said, you're covered. And Robert Struve looked at my father and said, you got a deal. And that was the, the old school of doing things. And it worked out wonderful. It was run as a you know, not-for-profit organization. That's why it went through so well, because all the dollars went back into horse racing and the business and the charity side of the business. And it was a wonderful way to run the, the racing business. And at the same time, he put together the group to run Del Mar. And hired Joe Harper to run the track, and uh, he was a cameraman at the time, or if I remember right, and put that whole group together, again, as a non-profit organization, and bid out everybody else because they had such an advantage because of the non-profit situation there. And that, of course, to this day, the, the Del Mar organization is run at the, under the same system and goes back to 69, 70.
0: Bo Hirsch, who sends out CeCe in the Breeders' Cup Distaff, joins us here on In the Gate. Now, as a prominent businessman, your father rubbed elbows with some highly influential people, including John Wayne, President Richard Nixon. What are your favorite repeatable stories about being a part of that world?
1: (laughs) Oh, boy. I never got to meet Richard Nixon, President Nixon. John Wayne, I did get to meet and he was a wonderful man. I I remember coming home one time to the house in Del Mar, and I was not told he was coming to the house to stay. I was just told that my room was given up for someone and that I had to go sleep in this, this other little room. Anyway, I get home. My father is not there. I don't see anybody, and all I see is this tall man walking around the living room and I kind of sneaking around the patio furniture looking, and one if it was a burglar. Anyway, it turned out I could see it was John Wayne. And I walk in, and he just turned right to me, and he said, You're a kid. He said, Sit out. I'm going to watch the George Putnam News, which was back in, again, 1971 or two, the early 70s. And that was the big local news channel on TV in Los Angeles, in the Southern California area. And uh, I sat there and watched the news and had a had a glass of tequila with him. And I couldn't have met a nicer man. People in the movie industry that I met, he was the one asking the questions. You know, I don't always doing in the school what I thought of Vietnam War, et cetera, et cetera. And I could hardly get a question in. you know, the other way. And he was just this wonderful man.
0: I thought you were going to tell me you were going to quote from Rooster Cogburn saying, I thought you was dead. Not hardly. Or something to that effect. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, he was... uh,
1: (laughs) God, I just, I could go on, you know, more stories than that.
0: Go ahead, we've got plenty of time.
1: I bet you do. Well, I'll tell you, the next morning, he ends up in my room and it was a house they were renting, my father was renting, and there was a pool between the 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 house in the in the back bedroom that I used to have that I got thrown out of, for John Wayne, which I you know had no problem with that, but I was in a little teeny little you know room you walk in and file into, and I could see the sliding glass doors and his room on the other side of the pool, and it was morning and I saw him coming, and I said, my God, the window, the door is shut. He's going to hit the door, and I'll be darned if he does his his head doesn't hit the the glass, uh, just boom. And he takes a step back, and the whole sliding door just shatters to the ground. He then steps over the glass, doesn't see me, and turns to the left where the kitchen is, and there's somebody comes running out of the kitchen. He says, I need a cup of black coffee. And make sure you tell, tell Mr. Hirsch to bill me for the window or the door. <laughs> 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 but that all happened in, you know, 24 hours for me with him. And he was a character.
0: Your father knew so many other highly influential people. Who are some of your favorites?
1: Well, Jimmy Durani, of course, was one of my favorites uh, of all time. And, and then there never was a nicer man in the world than he. He was like a. My half-brother's mother was Catholic, Jimmy was Catholic, so my younger half-brother was a godson, and I wanted to be his godson, too. And, of course, I was probably about nine years old or whatever, or ten years old, and my half-brother was two years old. And so I told Desi one day on the beach with her, we were fishing, that I wanted to be his godson, but my mother was a Christian scientist, not a Catholic, and I don't think I could officially have, you could be my godfather, and he says, come here, you little kid. And he took me down to the water and he says, son? And he grabbed me by the back and he dipped me into the salt water and pulled me out. He said, you're you're now my godson.
0: (laughs) 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 I'm always fascinated by how owners approach their horses. You know, Sal Koeman, for example, is a wheeler dealer who owns small percentages of many horses and is most concerned with maximizing profits. For you, Cece is a homebred, a granddaughter of a Philly magical maiden who won two grade one races for your father. What does Cece's lineage combined with your own mean to you?
1: Oh, it's especially you that you have this family and, and you know, I could, instead of going out and just buying a horse here and there and whatever and taking your shot and whatever, I, I try to follow in my father's footsteps a little bit. He passed away in 2000 and I really wasn't in the business at that time, other than owning, I don't know, 10% of a horse with him and part of a horse with a friend that that had a heart attack and died before he ever had a chance to run. And that was my experience. And when my father passed, no one in the family really had any interest in the horse business. So I decided I was going to try to buy some of the horses out of the estate. And my goal was to buy, you know, the female side so I could breed and, you know, start a line. And my father at that time had been with the bloodstock agent by the name of Kathy Berkey that I'm still with today, 20 years later. And she's just fabulous. And she talked me into what mares I should buy and fillies I should buy and yearlings I should buy on the female side. And she wanted me to buy miss houdini which was magical maiden but i said i i can't afford her i can see what they have her on the books as and i said this is just the side of my league i want to stay with these others and i said besides that i saw some of the other magical maidens run that weren't that impressive she said this one's different and so i bought her and as a yearling and of course she went on to win the debutante she should have retired or undefeated, but uh, she bowed, and there was the type of bow that they thought that you had a 50-50 chance of coming back. So I decided to give her a chance and bring her back, and it didn't work out.
0: Am I correct that Miss Houdini was born only seven weeks before your dad passed away?
1: Well, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. My father passed away in 2000 of March, and I would guess it could have been that close, yes.
0: And Miss Houdini, of course, is the dam of CC. Right. So, what does that all mean to you?
1: It, it means family, and, and you know, which means more to you. And I've got a line, and I, I know that I can take CC, and when she's her time to retire, I can hopefully have some more Miss Houdinis and magical maidens and Papa Clams, etc., and keep the line going. It's like a family, and I love it.
0: Despite having the legendary Hirsch name, the last graded stakes win for your stable before CC had been 10 years ago. How much pressure do you feel amongst your peers to keep up success because of your family heritage in the sport?
1: Oh, I I don't know. I'm more concerned about keeping up with keeping myself happy in the business. And if I'm not making money and the money's just going out, I'm not happy. And what I've done in the last few years is I've tried to run it more like a business, and I've decided for the most part to sell the Colts. And I just sold the American feral Miss Houdini. and the Colts are much more of a gamble. And the Phillies I can rebreed and build up a line that I can continue on that can be profitable. And it's worked. And uh, for the last couple of years, I'm actually making money, which is not helped me much in the tax department.
0: But it's helped in the fund department.
1: <laughs> but in the fund department, it's wonderful. And I love to watch them, bro. I mean, my goodness, I, you know, I, it's hard to sell any of them. But you got to pretend that it's somewhat of a business, even though I realize it's a hobby, and it's a wonderful hobby. And the highs you get from it are like nothing you get from anything else. And as you've heard before from other people, that's true. See, and then your horse crossed that finish line is something special. You see some of these great athletes and end up owning horses, and they'll they'll tell you and its own special feeling.
0: Then we certainly wish you the best of luck with CeCe and the Breeders' Cup staff. Bo Hurst, thank you so much for a few minutes. I could do this all day long.
1: Oh, God love you. Anyway, thank you, sir, and I'll do anything I can to keep this business going. I love it to death.
0: Our thanks once again to Bo Hirsch and to Jack Knowlton. We journalists are trained to report the stories of man bites dog. Less often do we highlight dog bites man. So when attention on deaths at Santa Anita fomented last year, my colleagues saw the flames to vigorously fan. Yet hardly anyone said a word when Delmar came and went last year with nary a single fatality. And not one horse perished on Santa Anita's main track this year, which a season ago hardly seemed a reality. But the bigger pipe dream would be for mainstream media to care. I don't think they hope the business will sunset, but we humans are simply programmed to seek out the negative. It's a survival skill to handle the next threat. Unfortunately, since racing in the States is decentralized, there's no one spreading this uplifting narrative. The only time the mainstream media gets a hold of racing is when naysayers spew more poisonous invective. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, the iTunes Store, and of course, in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us and it's now official you can vote for us in the 2020 Fan Choice Awards at America's Best Racing. We've been telling you since this time last year go on their Twitter handle at ABR Live or their Facebook page and tell them that In the Gate belongs in their finalists for Best Podcasts where we should have been last year. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In the Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We hope you're safe and healthy as you listen to this and we'll see you next time.